This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Whenever you have a mitzvah, there's always some kind of midah, which is a character trait behind it, which is which is going to be perfected, which that's really the bottom. There's something underneath the surface, right? And uh, so therefore, if there's a mitzvah to love one's friend, there must be some kind of character trait or some kind of character flaw, which is going to be fixed. Or you need to, a person needs to fix in order to do the mitzvah. It's always like it's always like that, like giving tzedakah. So a person has a character flaw of being mean and jealous. Uh, obviously, it's uh, by giving tzedakah. Hopefully, it's going to fix that character flaw. All these mitzvot between man and fellow man, or man and uh, human beings between human beings, are mitzvot that are there in order to fix character flaws. No question about it. That in order to make us better people. So the question is, which character trait is behind? So, loving your friend as yourself. For example, in a relationship, and we're talking about human relationships. So, in any human relationship, there's a mitzvah to love the other party, which is so hard to do. We talked about last week is it uh, a positive aspect of giving, or is it a negative aspect of not doing bad that you don't want other people to do bad to you, so don't do to them? Um, but, you know, there's different opinions. Uh, we talked about the Ramban, which says, wish them as well as you want others to wish you well. You want to wish other people well, you know, look after their, their possessions like you look after your own possessions, etc., etc. Um, so what is the character trait we're trying to develop? Obviously, we're talking about not uh, being jealous. What else? So what is the root cause of loving someone else? And there's one big root cause, and that is one of the major character traits which also applies in our relationship with God. And that is called in Hebrew, hakarat atov. Hakarat atov means recognizing goodness that someone did to a person. In other words, it's, uh, it's an attitude of gratitude. Let's call it an attitude of gratitude. The person should try and inculcate in themselves an attitude of gratitude to the world around them. How can, you, how can I inculcate an attitude of gratitude to the world around me? And that is obviously... Um, that's if you go to the store and you buy a loaf of bread. That's the Gemara's uh, little story. The Gemara gives us proof over there. The Gemara says, if you buy a loaf of bread, you've got to realize how many people it took to make that loaf of bread. And in those days, it was totally labor intensive. You're talking about the laws of Shabbat, the 39 forms of work. At least 10 out of the 39 have to do with making a loaf of bread. You know, from the uh, plowing the field to planting the crops to watering the crops. To, to uh, harvesting and, and reaping and, and uh, then winnowing and, and then uh, grinding, all these different acts of uh, labor. Um, it's a labor intensive, at least in those days, to make bread was a very labor intensive. So therefore, a person, when they buy a loaf of bread, has to say, wow, I really appreciate all these people, look how many people it took to make this loaf of bread. I really appreciate all the work they did for me. And here I go into the store and I buy it. So now I've got to appreciate where I buy it from. Uh, there's a beautiful Midrash. The Midrash says, Avraham Avinu, when he went to Egypt from Canaan, he went to Canaan and straight away there was a famine, one of the 10 trials of Avraham Avinu. And it says, when he went to Egypt and he came back a very wealthy man. So now you would think this wealthy man now is going to stay at a higher class hotels on the way back, right? And those, I don't know what kind of hotels they had in those days. But Rashi says, he stayed in exactly the same place he stayed on the way there. In other words, he said, listen, these places gave me shelter on the way there. I'm going to give them, I'm going to return the favor to them. I'm going to provide for them on my way back. So in other words, that's Hakaratatov. Hakaratatov is recognizing 
being grateful to people who helped you, being grateful to the people who helped you in your life. So now how can we uh, employ this technique to other people we don't know? And the answer is, like, for example, we're li- I'm living in Israel. Some people over here are living in Israel. And uh, yesterday, last night was Yom HaZikaron, which is remembering all the people who gave their lives to make Israel happen and to make Israel a safe place. All the people in the army and the Navy and the Air Force, and then all the civilians who gave their lives to acts of terrorism. So they also gave their lives to live in Israel. And they also gave their lives to make Israel a stronger place. And therefore, we, there's a tremendous act of, we have to have Hakarapatov. Very important, we have to have Hakarapatov. These people provided for us, they gave us a place to run. The Jews need help around the world as a place to go to, which they never had in the time of the Holocaust. There was no place to go to. There was no one who wanted to give them visas. So this, we have to have tremendous Akaratov. Really, this is, we really have, this is something which is, I see today around me, you know, people with character flaws. This, this character trait of Akaratov is lacking. I don't owe anything to my parents. I don't owe anything to my siblings. I don't owe anything to anyone. I don't owe anything to my employer. This is a, a major character flaw. We have to appreciate wherever we, we work, however we provide for ourselves, Whoever is employing us, we have to we have to really have hakaratatov, and this applies especially in relationships. Hakaratatov, gratitude, an attitude of gratitude to whoever helps us. Obviously, this applies to Hashem in a big way. Uh, Hashem created this world; everything around us is created by God. We have to appreciate. It's an attitude of gratitude. I think that is the main character trait which we have to try and fix by the mitzvah of Reach how can I love someone else? Well, if I appreciate what they did for me and I appreciate what they do for me, then I can love them. But if I don't appreciate what they did for me, what they do for me on a daily basis or whenever they did it, then how can I love them? So then there's no appreciation at all. So it's very, very important. This, this act of appreciation, this trait, this character trait of appreciation, which is, I think, is one of the most powerful character traits that we have to develop and we have to teach our children to be grateful to everyone who helps them including their parents which is the parents find it you know it's very hard for a parent to teach a child to be grateful to the parents so how do they learn it and the answer is that we're grateful to our parents they see it how we look after our parents we honor our parents we respect our parents and we're grateful to what they do for us how we talk about them then they're going to reciprocate they're going to learn from role modeling so we have to be the role models in the house. If, if a man shows appreciation to his wife and uh, thanks his wife and gives his wife a big hug and say, thank you so much for what you do for me in front of the kids, the kids are going to emulate and one day they're going to come and give their father or mother a big hug and say, thank you for what you do for me. So and maybe we should make this part of the Friday night routine. And go around the table and say, you know, so I'm so appreciative to this guy this week who helped me. This way, kids can come along and they can say, you know, who helped them that week? You know, everyone should appreciate all the different things that Hashem does for us every day. I mean, we, we say all these blessings at the beginning of the day, 20 blessings that we say every, every day to appreciate all the different things that God does for us every single day. I can see, I can walk, I have dry land. And uh, thank God I go to the bathroom. Thank God I'm healthy. You know, all these things that we have to appreciate. So that's how we start off the day. We start off our day with the, the fantastic word, mode for a man or moda for a woman. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Hashem. So the word thank you has got to be on our lips. The trouble is it's on our lips, but it's not inside us. And that's 
That's what we have to do. We're trying to make it part of us. Hakarato has to be part of us. Gratitude, an attitude of being grateful. It's so hard to inculcate because we're living in the me generation. It's one of the flaws of our generation, the me generation. I deserve everything I have. Well, hopefully in a good sense. You know, I deserve all the good things in my life. <laughs> Probably deserve the bad things as well. But anyway, let's not go there. But I deserve all the good things in my life. I don't have to thank anyone. Magiali, as I say in Hebrew. Magiali comes to me. I deserve it. It should come to me, and therefore I'm not grateful. That's, that's a very bad, that's one of the worst character traits. Why? Because a person is not grateful to human beings and kindness to them. How can they be grateful to God? If a person cannot love the people around them, how can they love God? Right? It's like to going to the intangible. If I can't love the tangibles, if I can't associate myself with tangibles, how can I love intangibles? How can I love Hashem? So all these are mechanisms that Hashem created us in a certain way. He told us to get married, to have families, and this way we can appreciate, we can be creators, we can appreciate the creator above us. We can appreciate our creator. And, you know, when you're, when you're a grandparent, then you can appreciate uh, you can tell your children, you know, you know, you know. Sometimes the kids are mean to their children. Like they let the kid cry. You know, I'm not going into that. That's a part of. I have a very. I learned from my mother. My mother couldn't stand little kids crying. You know, so, you know, it's tough love. Teach them to cry. Don't don't muddy cuddle the kids. But now the the research is the more love and tenderness you give them at an early age, the more self esteem they have when they grow older the more capable they are, the more comfortable, the more security they have when they grow older. So seeing a kid cry, you know, it's maybe nice, you know, train them to get used to playing by themselves and this and that, but make a kid cry and the tears come out of their eyes. So number one is a person becoming cruel. And number two is that kid is not getting the love and the care at that early age that will help them later on in life to be um, more secure with themselves. I don't know. That's my perspective. I think that's those are the latest studies with kids. But the more they get when they're younger, the more they'll be secure when they're older. They won't have these insecurities. A lot of kids today have insecurities. Probably why? Because their kids locked them in the room and you know, at night and let them scream until they went to sleep by themselves. And they lost that security. That sense of security doesn't have. They don't have. So anyway, so I'm just, this is the way we inculcate uh, these um, ideas into our kids. The idea of being role modeling gratitude. Role modeling care, role modeling, uh, don't let the kid cry unnecessarily. Don't let the kid, un so even though you're trying to teach the kid a lesson, don't let it cry unnecessarily. Uh, it's not good for their self-esteem and their growth later on. Anyway, I want to be, a, I want to bring a lot of examples. There's a lot of examples in the Torah which are not brought out completely. What are the examples of Hakarat HaTov? What are these examples? There's so many different examples, both to people and also to inanimate objects. There's a whole bunch of examples in the Torah of Hakarat Atov to inanimate objects, which we see our greats were even at Hakarat Atov to inanimate objects. They had an attitude of gratitude, which is wild. Why should I be grateful for inanimate objects that saved me or helped me in certain ways? Why should I be grateful? Let's just go through the examples. So one of the first examples that comes to mind, this is an amazing example. Um, this is brought down by Chaim Shmulevich, who was the, he was the mashkiach of Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. A brilliant man, brilliant. He has, uh, he has uh, volumes on uh, Musar ethics um, on, on the parasha of the week. Now, it's interesting because he gave these uh, he gave his lectures in his in the yeshiva and Mir Yeshiva and Yerushalayim, and so he only gave the lectures when the yeshiva was open. 
So there's a whole bunch of parashiot I'm missing because it was Bela's money. It was between the sessions. <laughs> there was no boys there to hear his lectures. So he never gave lectures in those weeks. So it's interesting. Some of the parashiot are missing from the book. But now we know why. So anyway, so Hanshmarach brings out this, this amazing, I would never have thought about this. This is a beautiful idea. It concerns Ruven and Yosef. Now it's interesting. What's interesting is Ruven was the firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn. I caught him, but I think he was the biggest loser in the Torah. Reuben was the biggest loser in the Torah. Why? Because he was the firstborn. And the firstborn was meant to be the king of Israel. The firstborn was meant to have the kuna, which is the priesthood. And Reuben lost the kingship to Yehuda, and he lost the priesthood to Levi. Reuben was the biggest loser in the Torah. Why? What happened to Reuben? And the answer is something, again, a very, very important point. He was trying to honor his mother at the expense of his father's honor. He tried to honor his, his mother. Obviously, his mother was Leah. He saw Leah, his mother. You know, she was uh, the not-so-favored wife of Yaakov. Yaakov favored Rachel. Uh, Yaakov, we don't know how he treated Leah, but the Torah says, Hashem saw that Leah was hated. And then it says, and, and Yaakov loved Leah as well. So, um, again, the Musa commentators say, Hashem saw Leah was hated. What do you mean? Leah was hated while she wasn't loved as much as her co-wife, Rachel. If you don't love someone as much as someone else, that person feels hated. In other words, if two kids come along and you show favoritism to one and the other kid, you love them as well, but you don't show them the same favor. The other kid feels hated. Now we can understand how the brothers felt towards Yosef. Yosef was the favorite son of Yaakov. And so it's not like the brothers felt that Yaakov loved them as well, just not so much. If they felt that hated, they felt hated, just like Leah felt hated, they felt hated. So Reuven lost out. He lost out big time. He lost the kingship. He lost the priesthood. And he nearly lost. He thought he had lost being part of the legacy of Yaakov, being one of the sons of Yaakov. He thought he lost his legacy of being one of the tribes. Now, who tells him that he's still part of the tribes? His father never told him. He thought his father's going to cut him out the will. His father's going to cut him out the heritage. And in fact, the father on his deathbed rebukes Ruben. Pachas uh, Kamayim, you are flaky like water. You are a flaky guy. You're not someone reliable. Ruben was not someone reliable that his father could rely on. But I don't think Ruben was that bad. But anyway, it's interesting. I wasn't his father. I didn't know him intimately. His father was giving him the son, the deathbed, Reuven. Reuven was still, still the oldest, but he lost the kingship. He lost the priesthood. So now what happens? Reuven really thought he lost everything. He thought Yaakov was going to kick him out of the family. So who was the one who told him that he's still part of the family? And the answer comes from a very unlikely source, that Joseph has two dreams, and in his dream he sees the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. Now everyone understood these 11 stars are 11 brothers. And when Reuven heard that, he said, wow, thank God. I'm still part of the family. I got this message from Joseph's dream. Can you imagine that the brothers are going to bow down? Who's his brothers? I'm included. I'm, there's 11 brothers. I must be included. I'm still part of this family. You know, I owe, I owe Yosef a debt, a debt of gratitude. Where do we see that Reuven paid Yosef back a debt of gratitude? Where did Reuven pay Joseph back a debt of gratitude? And the answer is, the Torah tells us, the brothers threw Yosef in a pit. But before that, they wanted to kill him. And it says, the two brothers, Shimon Levi, the Midrash says, were the ones who said, here comes the dreamer, let's get rid of him. 
All the brothers say, yeah, let's kill him. They had a meeting, let's kill the brother. And Reuben said, no, let's not kill our brother. His blood will be on our head. Let's not spill his blood, just throw him in the pit. And the commentaries say he had in mind, Reuben had in mind to come and take Yosef out of the pit later on. But by the time Reuben came back to take Yosef out of the pit, Yosef was gone. And Reuben rips his clothes and he mourns. He says, what am I going to tell my father? But anyway, we see Reuben wanted to save Yosef. So why did Reuben, the oldest son, obviously, you know, he's responsible. He's the oldest son. And again, he's going to get blamed by his father. You're going to be, I can't rely on you. You're the oldest brother. You should look after your younger brother. But why did he want to look after him so badly? Not because of his father's uh, blame so much, but because he owed Yosef a favor. A favor. What's a favor? Yosef was the one who told him, you know, you're one of the 11 brothers. You're part of the family. And that's Hakarat Atov. Reuben had this tremendous Hakarat Atov to Yosef. This is amazing. This is wild part of the story that no one focuses on. This Rav Chaim Shmulevich focuses on this part of the story. Why did Reuben save his, wanted to save his brother Yosef, Joseph, so much? Because Yosef, Joseph was the one who gave him good news. He's still part of the family. Wow. I would never have thought about that. That's Hakarat Atov in action to save someone's life because they did something for you, to you personally, and you owe them a debt of gratitude. He saved his life. He literally saved his life. That is Hakarat Atov, a fantastic Hakarat Atov. So it says, Ruven, the, the Pasuk says, Ruven, Ruven, Ruven heard and he saved yourself from their hands. What do you hear? So the word Vaishma cannot only mean here, we say Shema Israel. Doesn't only mean here, it means understand Israel. Reuven understood. What he understood? He understood that because of Yosef, I owe him a favor. He told me I'm part of the tribes, I'm still part of the tribes. So he owed him a favor. So that's Hakarat Atov. Beautiful, beautiful idea. Um, and uh, now this is also interesting because Yaakov, when he sends Yosef, he sends Joseph, Jacob sends Joseph to find out. Why did he send Joseph to look at the brothers? Look at what he says. Yomelo, lech shalom achech. Go and see if there's peace to your brothers. Ve'et shalom hatson. And see also that there's peace to the sheep. Okay. Okay, I can understand. The father says, you know, go and look after your brothers. Go and see if your brothers are okay. But go and see if the sheep are okay. You know, the sheep are okay. Uh, I assume the sheep are okay. If the brothers are okay, they're looking after the sheep. Obviously, the sheep are okay, but what's this connection? Look after the sheep. See if the sheep are okay. So the answer again, Rabbi Chaim Shmuel says, Hakarat HaTov to the sheep. Yaakov says, we owe our livelihoods to the sheep. All our money comes from the sheep. All our food and sustenance comes from the sheep. Make sure the sheep are doing well. In other words, they're the ones providing for us, even though, you know, we don't, we don't realize a farmer say he doesn't, he has a sheep, he has goats, he has cows. He has Hakarat Atov to his cows and his sheep. I don't know. But that's the level Yaakov Avinu was. Yaakov was teaching us, you know, these sheep, we get all our sustenance from the sheep. Make sure the sheep are doing well as well. And when the sheep do well, we do well. So it's attitude to gratitude, not just to people, but also to animals. That's amazing, you know. Uh, you know, we're not so connected to animals as we were one time. Imagine a person had a horse to ride around on. So now he's got to look after his horse, not just... Because he needs his horse to be healthy so he can ride the horse, but also because of Hakaratatov. You're the horse that you know I ride, I, I, I was riding on for many years. You know, it's interesting, we see this story, <laughs> one of the funniest stories of the Torah, really. This is God's sense of humor. The story of Bilam and his donkey. 
right? And Bilam is an ass, and uh, the Bilam has his donkey, and Hashem, his beautiful sense of humor, makes the donkey talk to Bilam. And Bilam doesn't see there's an angel standing in front of the donkey, blocking his donkey, and the donkey is bearing off the path, and he knocks Bilam's feet, and Bilam's getting angry, he starts whacking the donkey, and so the Midrash says, well, the Torah says the donkey started talking to him. And the donkey says to him, he says, aren't I the donkey who, who you, you rode on many years and never had any problems and now you're hitting me? In other words, the donkey is reminding him, you owe me gratitude for all the years I looked after you. So Bilam was the one who never had gratitude. That's, uh, that's why I call it Bilam Arashah. He was an evil man. He never even had gratitude to someone who helped him. His donkey is his own... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very hard, you know, we don't have these uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, we don't have these issues today, you know, you don't have to reward your car, but still, the, what the what rabbis are teaching us, even Hakarata talked towards inanimate objects, which we haven't talked about yet, we've got to get to, so even one's car imagine, so how can you look after your car, you can't really look after your car, but just don't damage it, you know, don't go uh, don't drive it in a way which will damage the car, have Hakarata talk to the car as well, this is, this is a wild you know, have Hakarata talk to your house look after your house, look after your property and that's what we're saying, well let's, let's get to the point, oh let's get to that as well so we talked about looking after people uh, Reuven had a great was grateful to Joseph uh, Yaakov was grateful for his sheep, make sure the sheep are doing well uh, now let's come to a very important Gemara this is a beautiful Gemara story. One of my favorite stories in Gemara. It's a story of Rabbi Akiva and how he became religious, which is one of the great stories of Bala Tshuva in the Torah, in the, Torah, in, the in the Talmud. You know, Rabbi Akiva, it says, was a son of Gerim. His father was a convert, Yosef. And uh, Rabbi Akiva grew up not knowing, not knowing anything. He knew literally, he didn't even know Alephet. So he probably, whatever he knew was probably from osmosis, from the surroundings, maybe Shabbat, maybe Kashur. I don't know what he knew. Uh, we have no idea, but we know that he was totally illiterate and ignorant, totally about Judaism, pretty much illiterate. He couldn't read, he couldn't write. Age of 40, he was in zero. He looked after sheep, he was a very good shepherd. He was an amazing shepherd. And his master, Kalba Sabua, that was his nickname, a satisfied dog. Now, why was he called a satisfied dog? Because the Gemara says, whoever came into his house when he was hungry, would leave like a satisfied dog, puffing and panting like a dog who overate. So that's why this man got a title of Kalba Sabua, satisfied dog. He is the master of Rabbi Q, hired Rabbi Q to be a shepherd. And his daughter, Rachel, only child. We don't know if she had a mother, but the mother passed away. She's the only child to this man, this, this righteous, elderly, wealthy widower. She's trying to find her husband and everyone who shows her. All the rabbis, he wanted her to marry. She used to turn him down. She didn't find some kind of quality she was looking for. One. Who does she fall for? She falls in love with the shepherd, Akiva. She sees him from the window. She's how he looks after the sheep. And he's so nice to them and so kind to them. She said, that's the man I want. I want to marry a kind, a, whole, give, a big-hearted man who knows how to look after his property and look after my father's property. And he's very careful, meticulous with his work and he has a work ethic. That's the kind of person I want. So she starts talking to him. and she's, He has good, good traits, good character traits. And she comes to her father, I want to marry Akiva. And father says, no way you're going to marry Akiva. <laughs> no way you're going to marry that ignorant shepherd of mine. Forget about it. She can't forget about it. He said, you marry her, I'm going to throw you out of the house. I'm going to disinherit you. All my wealth, 
is going to go to you, I'm going to disinherit you. You're going to be a pauper. Why oh, it's terrible. And she married Akiva on condition Akiva is going to go and learn Torah. Akiva is going to go <laughs> and here's Akiva now. What am I going to do? You think I can marry her? How am I going to go and learn Torah? I don't know how to bet. And he sees this drops of water hitting the rock. And he sees over time the water had made a little dent in the rock. He says that the water can make a dent in the rock. The Torah can go into my head. So he goes and finds a rabbi, Nachumich Gamzu, whose favorite uh, saying was Gamzu Letova, everything is for the best. Even this will be for the best. And eventually he teaches him Malabet. And Rabbi Kiva, 24 years later, becomes the head of the generation, becomes the most learned rabbi of the generation who is equal or greater than his own rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkunus, who is the great Rabbi Eliezer, who was Rabbi Eliezer Gadol, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, was the great Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, and uh, he becomes on par. You see the Gemara, he starts arguing with them, and he starts giving proofs. And uh, it's interesting how <laughs> the student, he's a prize student, he becomes a genius. He's a genius student, he's a top student, and he becomes really, he knows, he can answer them. He can give them proofs that they never thought about. Wow. And he becomes one of the great rabbis of the generation. He comes back 24 years later with 24,000 students, which is very topical because that's why we're in the period of the Omer. It became a sad period because the students, Rabbi Kiva, these students, these 24,000 students passed away on, on this time period. So it's good we're talking about it in their memory. And we owe them as well. We owe Rabbi Kiva tremendous debt of favor. So what happens is 24,000 students come back to the town. And his wife, Rachel, comes to greet her husband. And the students don't know who this old woman is. And they push her away. Don't bother the rabbi. And Akiva says, whatever we know is because of this woman. Whatever I know, whatever you know, all the Torah we have here today is because of this woman. So And that's Hakaratatov. That's tremendous Hakaratatov. So we can say the same thing. We're all students of Rabbi Kiva. The Torah comes from Rabbi Kiva. The oral law comes from Rabbi Kiva and his students. And therefore, we have to say that all the Torah we have today is because of this woman, Rachel, this special wife of Rabbi Kiva, who gave up all her worldly possessions. She was a multi-millionaire's wife, uh, daughter. She gave up everything for a husband to learn Torah, and because of that, we can learn the Torah. We learn the Gemara and the Mishnah based on the five students of Rabbi Kiva that survived. Um, and uh, so we owe her a tremendous debt of, of gratitude. There's a happy ending to the story, and that is the father, Kalba Sabol, is still alive, and he comes to this rabbi, he came to town, and he says, Rabbi, I have a question. I disinherited my daughter, my only daughter, many years ago because she married this illiterate shepherd, he didn't recognize Akiva, and Akiva says, what if she knew that illiterate shepherd would now be a great rabbi, would you annul your vow? He says, well, yeah, of course, that was the whole problem, the problem was he was illiterate, but he says, I'm that shepherd, and so the story goes that uh, that is this ending, the good, beautiful ending to the story is that money comes back, Kalbatsev was reconciled with his daughter, he recognizes Akiva as his son, and the money goes to become very wealthy and very comfortable in their older age. Obviously, the story continues. Again, not a very good note, but 
so far, that's it. That's all I'm going to go. So <laughs> that's the idea of Hakaradatov. Everything we know is from this woman. We have to owe Hakaradatov. If we see Rachel again, not so soon. Whatever it is, we have to owe her a tremendous gratitude that the Torah continued because of her sacrifice for her husband, Akiva, and the students, the 24,000 students of Anyway, so let's move on to another case. Rashi says in Parsha Bayra, and there's a Midrash, which he brings down, and uh, we know that the first plagues were not done by Moses, they were done by Aaron. Why was, why was the, the plague of the water turning to blood done by Aaron, not by Moses? Why was the plague of the frogs done by Aaron, not Moses? Why was the plague of the, of the uh, kidney and the lice done by Aaron, not Moses? So the, the commentary of the Midrash says, because the water saved Moses when he was a young kid. The river Nile saved Moses. Moses, he put him in a basket. Everyone knows the story. Put him in a basket, River Nile. His mother tried to hide him from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh's men. In the River Nile, in a basket, the water saved him. How can he reply to the water and turn the water into blood? He couldn't do it. I regret. Imagine, I owe a debt of gratitude to the water of the Nile. I cannot turn it to blood. I owe a debt to the dust of the earth. I cannot turn it to light. Why? Because the dust of the earth buried the Egyptian who I killed and tried to hide him from Pharaoh, even though it didn't work. And nevertheless, I owe a debt of gratitude to the dust, and I cannot do that. Later on, Hashem says, make a war with Midian. Fight with Midian. They caused tremendous havoc. They made all the Jews immoral. They caused this plague. The tribe of uh, Shimon, the whole tribe, 24,000 again. Uh, that's a, there's a big Kabbalistic secret over here. 24,000 people in all the tribe of Shimon died. The Ramami panel links that to the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva. They were the same. They were Gugulin. They were reincarnations of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva and uh, of, uh, yeah, of, uh, of the 24,000 men of, of Shimon that died. And who are these 24,000 men of Shimon dies? The Ramam Epano says the 24,000 males in the city of Shechem that the, the two sons of Yaakov killed. So the 24,000 men were killed by the sons of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi. When Dina was raped, those 24,000 came back in Berlin as 24,000 men who were killed with Shimon, the tribe of Shimon, uh, Cosby, Batsur, and Zimri, the, the head of the tribe of uh, Shimon, 24,000 men were killed. And they came back later on as 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiba, and that was the Tikkun. That was their Tikkun. They came back, they converted to Judaism, they, they were circumcised, so the whole Tikkun was done to make sure they were done properly and they became, their souls were fixed. Baruch Hashem, their souls were fixed. So this is the period of the Omer. Again, a little bit of tie-in to this, but what are we trying to say? We're trying to say that even uh, the, the Midianites, Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from Egypt. Where did he hide? He hid with Yitro, who was a Midianite. He says, I can't make a war with Midian. God says, you make a war with Midian. He says, I can't make a war with Midian personally. Why? Because I owe them a debt of gratitude. They looked after me when I ran away from Egypt, when I ran away from Pharaoh. How could I make a war then? So he sends Pinchas. He sends someone else to go and make the war. I could be on a gratitude. I can't make the war with Midian. So it's interesting, fascinating, how far this goes, this, this act of gratitude. And, and you know what Hashem understood? Hashem says, you know what? I want that act of gratitude. I want you to be grateful to Midian. I'm not going to ask you to fight the war. You make sure the war is done, but you're not going to be the one to do it. You can't do it. 
we can't, we can't, we can't do these things. And, and you know, you know, there's an interesting halakha, which is halakha that a man is not allowed to wound, a person is not allowed to wound their parents. But if the parents say, listen, my son is a doctor and I want him to be the surgeon. So again, act of gratitude, you're not allowed to wound your parents. If a person wounds his parents, it's capital punishment. It's not joking, Jewish law, it's a terrible thing. A person strikes their parents, it causes a, a blemish or a wound or a, or a, uh, a bruise. It's an act of, uh, uh, it's the opposite of gratitude to parents. It's capital punishment in Jewish law. If there's witnesses and warning, which we don't have today, we don't have a Sanhedrin today. But what about wounding them for healing purposes? And that is, that is also an act of gratitude. And if the, if the parent says, I want my son to do it, or I want my daughter to do it, be the surgeon or be the dentist, then it's allowed. It's an act of gratitude. So gratitude applies by not wounding, and gratitude applies if, yes, being the surgeon of the mother or mother father says, yes, I want you to be do it. So it's gratitude. It's such a powerful, a powerful trait that we have to work on. Yeah, you know, grateful to all the people who gave their lives to build this country, all the people who, who helped build this country, who, all the people who power the economy, all the people who drive the buses and drive the cars. And everything that is done for us, we have to appreciate. And this applies even to, as we said, uh, to the water that saved me. If a person was saved by the water, Moshe Rabin was saved by the water, by the dust that covered the Egyptian. That's amazing, amazing. And the Midrash says, sums it up. The Midrash asks the question. A person drinks from a well. Does he throw stones inside the well? Does he throw rocks inside the well? Like a person says, you know, I live in Israel, but I'm throwing garbage on the streets, you know. How can a person throw? This applies anywhere you live, by the way. <laughs> a person should not be uh, going around throwing, you know, banana peels especially, but other things as well, just paper peels, so, you know, have a candy and you throw the, the thing on the floor. That's ungrateful that's being ungrateful to the land you live in that's being ungrateful to the society you're living so it's very important to be grateful and respectful gratitude and respect go together so very important to be grateful so it's a beautiful uh the mechilta is a halachic midrash on the book of shimon and the mechilta says there's a there's a pasuk in shimon pasuk says look what it says basar trefa lo you will not eat, this is Pasha Mishpatim, chapter 22 of Exodus, you will not eat meat in a field which has been ripped by an animal. Trefa, the word trefa comes from here. Trefa is an animal that was killed not through Shekita. It's a trefa. So if it dies not through Shekita, it's nebeha. If, it, if it's ripped, it was attacked by another animal, or it was uh, wounded, that's called a trefa. It died through wounds, it's a trefa, so the Torah says, you know, trefa in the field, throw it to the dogs. So the Midrash says, why throw it to the dogs? What do the dogs do to deserve it? So the Midrash says, it says when the Jews left Egypt, the dogs did not bark. Normally when you have a, a thief or something coming through, strangers, the dogs always bark. Imagine that the Jews left Egypt, the dogs are barking. It's not such a good send off. Says even the Jew, the dogs were respectful when the Jews left Egypt. The dogs did not bark as as if they were common thieves, common criminals, slaves leaving Egypt. Even the dogs did not bark. So we're rewarding the dogs. The, the Midrash says, reward the dogs. How do you reward the dogs? If a wolf comes and rips apart your sheep, give the pieces to the dog. Reward the dog for not barking in. Egypt, when you left Egypt. Amazing. But there's an amazing, even better idea. As the Tosfari of Shalim on that passage. 
the, the commentary called Tosfot Yishagim, the commentary says, reward which dog? Which dog is there with the sheep? And the answer is the sheep dog. The sheep dog was in the, with the sheep and the sheep dog failed. Why the sheep dog failed? Because a wolf came and ripped the sheep apart. And the Torah says, reward that dog. But why should I reward the dog? Because of him, the sheep died. Yeah, but think about all the times that he was successful. Think about all the times that dog helped you and looked after your sheep faithfully through the season, through the cold, through the heat, through the this. Reward the dog, even though the dog failed once. Reward him with the meat. So amazing idea of Hakarat Atov to reward even your animals. It helped you in so many ways. You know, sometimes we forget. One, one person is rude one day, but you know, he, he saved me 20 years. He looked after me, but one day he's rude. He had an off day, and no, I'm not going to talk to him again. So that's, where's the Hakarat Atov? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. It's very important. Hakarat Atov is a secret of any successful relationship. It's this feeling inside. But you know what? It takes a lot of humility. So again, that's another trait that a person needs to fix to love your friend is yourself. And that's a trait of humility because without humility, a person will never have Hakarat Atov. As I said, Magi Ali, and I deserve it. Everything's coming to me. Everything I need, you know, it comes to me. You have to look after me. My wife needs to do this for me. She's my wife. My kids have to do this for me. They're my kids. Um, the teacher has to teach me properly in school. They owe it to me. Everything is owed to me. No, nothing's owed to me. That's humility. Anyone helps me, I owe them gratitude. Everything, anyone helps me, gratitude. So even someone I don't know, I go to a government office, especially in Israel. But <laughs> someone helps you in a government office, Smile at them, thank them. Someone helps you in the bank, smile at them, thank them. You know, and you know, people expect it. And it's it's common courtesy, but it's also akratatov. It's inculcating into our character traits, and that's the power of repetition is the best part. You know, the Rambam says, How do you change a bad habit? And the answer is by creating a good habit. This amazing behavior modification rules in the Rambam. How do you change a bad habit? By doing a good habit three times. How do you make something into a habit? If you do it at least three times, it becomes a habit. That's, it's very hard to understand. I did something three times. You get up at a certain time of the day, three times in a row it becomes a habit. So the time you wake up, how do I change a bad habit? I have a bad habit, again, just for example. If you have a bad habit of getting up late, so get up early three times. Get up early whole winter. Forget about early the whole summer and you'll see how it becomes part of your habit, becomes a part of your routine. Make it part of your t- routine. That's the most powerful method of changing bad habits. And that's the most powerful method of changing traits. So person's angry, don't lose your temper for three times in a row. Even though you need to lose your temper, don't try and change it. Try and change that trait by not losing it three times. Try and change your trait to become generous by giving Svekka. Brahman says an amazing thing. What's more powerful, to give one big amount to charity or give a smaller amount every day? He says, give a smaller amount every day because then you'll get into the habit of giving. It's all about habit. How does a person change who they are? And the answer is by forming good habits, by doing something over and over again until it becomes part of a person. Once it's part of the person, you know, it says by Abraham Avinu. It says, Hashem says, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and bring him up to me as an Allah, as a sacrifice. Don't say sacrifice, as Allah. Raise him up to me. Rashi says, Abraham Pino misunderstood totally. He wasn't commanded to kill him. 
Nowhere does the Torah command Abraham to kill his son. Rashi says over there, even Ezra says the same thing. A lot of countries say that. And it's born out later on. Uh, we're going to see Hashem sends an angel to stop him. Why did Hashem send an angel to stop him? And the answer is Hashem didn't speak to Abraham anymore. That was the last time Hashem spoke to Abraham. Seems like Hashem says, you misunderstood me, Abraham. I can't talk to you properly. <laughs> you misunderstood the command. But nevertheless, what happens is Abraham goes through the motions and with great tremendous devotion, takes his son, his only son, ties him up on the altar on Mount Moriah, which is where the Temple Mount is today. And what happens is, it says, He sends his hand with a knife against his son. So what the rabbi said, why is he sending his hand? Why do you have to push his hand to go? It says his hand did not want to go. His hand, which was used to acts of kindness, was not used to acts of cruelty. He had to push his hand. He had to break the habit that he had of such a heart to break this habit of kindness and being kind and being nice and being gentle to people that he had to push his hand. So anyway, thank God it never happened. We get reward anyway. Abraham really were living off that reward because Abraham really wanted to serve God even though Hashem had commanded, but Hashem saw you know, how much he was willing to go. The sacrifice, thank God it never happened. Thank God we know from there that God does not want human sacrifice. God does not want human sacrifice for Hashem for that. Anyway, we're moving on to other examples of, of gratitude. Uh, God says to Moshe, Mount Sinai, go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go to serve me. And you know what? What Moshe Abedin says, so Midrash says, he said, how can I go without telling my father-in-law? My father-in-law opened his house For me to stay in his house, I owe him a tremendous debt. He gave me his daughter to marry. I owe him a tremendous debt. I can't just go from here, from Mount Sinai, without telling him, without asking for his permission. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu told God at Mount Sinai. That's what the Midrash says. Amazing, amazing. I owe my father-in-law a tremendous debt. Anyone who stayed in anyone else's house, anyone who ate in anyone else's house, it's a tremendous debt a person has, which we don't, you know, we don't appreciate the act of gratitude. We need an attitude of gratitude to appreciate. Moshe Rabbeinu appreciated everything, everyone, every single object that helped in his life, the water that saved his life, the dust that saved him, his father-in-law that saved him, Midian that saved him. Imagine what, I mean, what an exemplary character Moshe Rabbeinu had. And he also had tremendous akaratatov to his own stepmother, Bitya, the saved the daughter of Pharaoh. Rabbi say took her out of Egypt as well with him. I'm not going to leave Egypt without taking my, my fantastic uh, stepmother who looked after me and saved my life. There's an amazing midrash where I came across. Oh, wow, this is a wild, wild midrash. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this midrash. It's a wild midrash. It explains a lot of things which are unsaid in the Torah. It says one day Pharaoh and Yitro, Yitro you know, midrash says Yitro was one of the three advisors of Pharaoh. Uh, who are the three advisors? Job, Yob, Yob, Bilam, and Yitro. Three advisors of Pharaoh. Anyway, so Pharaoh and Yitro were walking through the marketplace one day and they saw two sisters being sold as slaves. And these are beautiful girls. And Pharaoh bought one and Yitro brought, bought the other. Who are these? Pharaoh bought one that was Bitya, the mother, the stepmother of Moshe. 
It wasn't his real daughter. It wasn't Pharaoh's real daughter. It was an adopted daughter who he saw bought in the market and adopted her as a daughter. Yitro bought Zipporah, adopted daughter of Yitro, and Midrash says they were sisters. Amazing. The two women in Moses' life were sisters. That really makes, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, at least to me, <laughs> that they were sisters. A wild Midrash. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu will not leave, even though God told him, go to, go to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh. I can't leave. I have to go and say goodbye to my father-in-law. I've got to say, you know, he gave me hospitality, gave me his daughter as, as my wife. I cannot leave without saying goodbye. But Pele, my amazing. So again, we see this tremendous righteousness of Moshe Rabbeinu. We come to another one. Uh, this idea of uh, hospitality we talked about, and this is from the Rashba. Rashba Rosh Shlomo Ben Aderet, who was one of the chief rabbis of Spain, Middle Ages, great, one of the Rishonim, wrote a commentary on the whole Talmud, the Rashba, famous Rosh Shlomo Ben Aderet. So he says, where do you learn it from? It's brought down as a halacha. You know, in the good old days, uh, not bad old days, where slavery was rampant, um, a Jew is not allowed to free his slave, his non-Jewish slave. Why? Because a non-Jewish slave who became a slave of a Jew had to adopt Judaism, partially at least. And the fear was if, he, if he'd be freed, he'd go back to his old pagan ways. So a slave of a Jew had, was not allowed to be a pagan. He had to be, believe in one God, keep the, uh, all the negative commandments of the Torah. Like uh, Anyway, so uh, he was not allowed to be freed. However, the Rashba says he was allowed to be freed as a sign of debt of gratitude. Imagine this non-Jewish slave became a Jew by being a slave of a Jew. By the way, before a Jew had to buy a slave in the market, he had to go make an arrangement with him. I'm only buying you on condition that you're going to convert to Judaism. You're going to have a Brit Milah. This is looking at which slave is. Uh, so, okay, that which slave says, uh, straight away the slave says no. The Jew says, wait one second. Number, number, I've got to tell you, I cannot mistreat you. And I give you a day off every, every week. And they said, wow, that's amazing. I'm not going to, you know, if I mistreat you, you go free. If I knock out your tooth, you go free. <laughs> so they so said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, if I get one day off a week and uh, you don't have to mistreat me, that might be a good deal. So I'll become a Jew, yeah. So it's interesting, before the slave would sell himself, the Jew had to agree, uh, get his agreement to become Jewish. Amazing. And uh, so... So normally a slave is not allowed to be freed, but if the Jew owed him a, f- a favor and the slave, say, saved his son's life or did something amazing, the Jew, it's a mitzvah, the Rashba says, Hakaratato. Well, you know, it's not very topical, uh, uh, but it's interesting that it's uh, brought down as a favorite. The slave did a favor to the owner. That's amazing. See, even the owner of a slave, in those days, slaves were chattel. They don't owe favors to a slave. But in Jewish law, yes. Any kind of debt of gratitude, you've got to pay back. You've got to pay back even to a slave. A slave is not chattel. A slave is someone with feelings, and you have to pay them back. So a very, very beautiful idea. So it's a very big trait that we have to understand. So now, so I saw a beautiful, this another brought down by one of the great, uh, I think the Khatam Sofer brings this down, and it's commentary on the Torah. Why, on the seventh day of Pesach, which already passed, it says that Egyptians were uh, destroyed by the sea. The sea split for the Jews and the sea covered the Egyptians. Why? Why didn't God tell the Jews, like, just a few weeks later, he tells the Jews, fight the Amalek. 
Why did God tell the Jews to fight the Egyptians? God says, yeah, I'll make a miracle. You go and fight the Egyptians. Why does it have, God have to make a miracle of the sea? And the answer is, again, God is teaching us an amazing idea over here. We owe the Egyptians, even though they were our slave masters and they mistreated us, we owe them a debt of gratitude for living in their land for 210 years. It's hard to imagine. With all what they did to us, we were not allowed to kill them. Hashem did not give us this, this, uh, this ability or the command to kill the Egyptians. This is wild now. This is an amazing idea which is staring us in the face. Wow, how come God did not say to the Jews, okay, I always thought, you know, I always thought the reason why God says, didn't tell us to kill the Egyptians is because we were ex-slaves. Uh, we had no way of fighting. We didn't know how to fight. But we see a few weeks later, they're fighting Amalek. So how come? What, they trained so badly in the, in, the, in the desert? They became expert soldiers in the desert? No, they had the weapons. It says emptied out. They came up. According to the Pshat, they came out fully laden with arms. They took out the arms from Egypt. They could fight. Why didn't they fight? In fact, we find one of the uh, reactions of the Jews of the sea was, let's fight. How come God didn't say to fight? God says, go through the sea. I'm going to make a miracle. And the answer is because God says, I don't want you to fight the Egyptians. You yourselves are not allowed to kill Egyptians. Why? Because they gave you a respite in their land for 210 years, even though they were bad eventually at the end. But they, they let you stay in their land for 210 years. Don't take vengeance on the Egyptians. This is wild. That's why the, the crossing of the sea happened in that respect, that way. That's one of the reasons why it happened that way. The Egyptians were killed in the sea and not by Jews, because Jews, we owe them a debt of gratitude. That's a wild. That's Hakaratatov. Really, in a, uh, we owe our enemies even Hakaratatov. Amazing. And in fact, this idea is repeated right through the Torah. When it says, talks about Gerim, look after the Gerim, because you yourselves were Gerim in the land of Egypt. You yourselves were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like to be strangers. So look after the strangers in your midst. Don't afflict the strangers. Love the strangers. And that's one of the hard elements for the Torah to love a stranger, to love someone who's not even related to you, not even part of your people. And they want to become part of your people. The mitzvah to love them. And how? Because we have to remember, we were strangers in foreign land. You know, the Jews in exile today can relate to this. We're Jews in exile all over the world. And uh, we have to have hakrat atop wherever we are. It's the country that gives us shelter. We have to have an attitude of gratitude to wherever we live in the country we live in. And I have to have, an, I have to have an attribute of gratitude to the land I live in, which is Eretz Israel. The people who gave their lives for our land. Yes, they're Karon. And we have to give your gratitude to all the close people in our lives, especially our spouses, especially our parents. Those are the ones we have to practice on the most attitude of gratitude. And then we can build it up from the inner smaller circles, from the microcosm out to the macrocosm. And uh, so thank you for listening to me today. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.